All right, I'm just going to do a quick test. Here, will you say something? Something! You're listening to the Paula and Jay Money Show. We'd rather be at a bar with you right now, but this is the next best thing. It's Financial Freedom Time with Paula Pant and Jay Money. What's up, Paula P? Oh, my goodness. So I, uh, all right. So here's a lesson on what not to do. The day that I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but to all of you listeners out there in listener land, today is October 14, which means that (laughs) if you're like me and you filed a tax extension, didn't file your taxes on April 15 like you should have, and instead filed a six-month extension, the extended tax deadline is tomorrow, October 15. And so if you're like me, you waited until the day before the extension deadline to actually get your shit in order. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, I am blown away just from hearing that. (laughs) Hey, wondering why the sound quality kind of sucks? It's because we don't really know what we're doing, at least not yet. So if the sound quality bothers you, just skip ahead to episode like five or six where we figure it out. But if it doesn't bother you, stick around. We got some good stuff. But see, that's thing. you're such a hustler that you didn't want to do the taxes because it's annoying. It doesn't pay. You have to pay probably or figure it all out. So (laughs) so you waited to the end when uh, presumably you're not doing any hustling today other than recording an awesome kick-ass show. (laughs) I've I've been giving, I I do have an accountant. I've been giving him a heart attack for the past like couple of weeks. He at one point got to the, he got to the point where he was just emailing me every other day, starting at about the beginning of October being like, you need to send me your shit. Paula, oh send gosh. me your shit. Oh Paula. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you would drive me crazy too. And I'm sure he's like a detailed like numbers person. Obviously, he has to be as an accountant. So that's like probably driving him up the wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty good accounting client in the fact that I can speak to him intelligently about taxes. You know, I, you know, I can talk to him about like if he says form 5498, like, I, you know, like I know what that is. I don't have to be schooled on it. Like I, I, I get it. I'm just the I'm just so slow at getting this done. <laughs> I'm, I'm focused on the hustle and I'm focused on running my business. And I actually, in fairness, I've been slowly sending him documents for about the past week. It's just that today is like it's the showdown today. And I'm that I'm the annoying client that gets like. 1099B and 1099INT, like the the interest and dividend and brokered forms from Mm. like a gajillion different institutions. Yes. So I'm like, here are a dozen 1099 interest forms, all of which report 40 bucks each. All of which are good problems to have. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the guy probably hates me. Oh, my God. So this year, like every, like I do every year, this year, I'm like, I promise this is going to be my last year like this. I promise next year I'm going to get it all done on time. And I'm going to close down a bunch of my accounts and consolidate and simplify. Yeah. And I, I make this pledge every year. And then every year it just doesn't happen. Yeah, you get on the simplifying. That'll make, oh man, that'll make it so much easier. That's why I did. I condensed, I mean, man, I, I had all these accounts all over for investments. So I just funneled it all through Vanguard. One place, one, a couple accounts, and man, that made it easier. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't have stuff spread out. Like I'm not like into like real estate and all this stuff, which actually is the topic of today, not taxes. Um, <laughs> although maybe, maybe the taxes, like that's actually one of my things, you know, for you. And we can talk about this later in the show. Is how how you know the taxes are affected by being a real estate kind of mogul, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like that's like one hurdle that I don't even like to. I mean, I hate thinking and doing taxes. I hate all those details of that stuff. I mean, clearly, so do I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I imagine that's a big part of it. But but stepping back a little bit, like like the the thing that I I guess admire about you and I know about you is you are good at real estate investing like that's like that's probably be like your your special interest skills right if you had to pick everything would you say that's up there geez well that's quite a compliment i guess so i mean i feel like i uh learned by trial and error and i threw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and i i failed more times than i succeeded but i succeeded big enough that it made up for all those little failures along the way. Right, right. And and uh, for people that don't know, like Paula, like you are technically financially free. Like you can live off of all the income that your real estate gives you every month. Yes, I could. I could. Yeah, and that, that's a big... So that's like the major goal like most people like. And I, I wouldn't be living like like a rap star, you know? I mean... 
my real estate income is enough that I could live a comfortable middle class existence. You know, nothing fancy, but enough that I just don't have to worry about it. Do you, do you want to tell the fine folks how much that is or give rough numbers? Yeah, I, I've actually been thinking about putting out uh, monthly income reports. Oh, perfect. Yes, blog. yes, we love it. Um, love so yeah, that. that probably by the time this airs, that may have already come out. Okay. But gross income is 9000 a month. Okay. Um, and then net income, it varies month by month depending on... Um, you know, if we have any repairs or not. Right. But if we don't have any repairs and we're just paying basic expenses, yeah. then the n- expenses are about 3000 a month. So net income would be somewhere between 5500 to 6000 per month. Nice. So let's just say 5000 because it'll be easy yeah, to calculate like if, and stuff goes wrong all the time. Yeah, exactly. So so you're making sixty grand, uh, like income, you know, mm-hmm. that, which you could live off of if you wanted to. Yeah. For the rest your life in theory as everyone keeps paying and yeah. up. and then not to mention you have like the, all the real estate itself if you wanted to turn around and sell could you know be millions of dollars probably <laughs> uh, I think the value of all of the real estate is about Ooh, this is juicy. a little over a million oh, I love this talk I love, <laughs> I love numbers <laughs> because it's so real because then we can actually understand like what it looks like for in real life so that's why man, I'm glad that I, I partnered with you on this <laughs> You know what, Jay? I remember the first time that you and I met, which was in Schaumburg, Illinois in 2011. FinCon number one. FinCon number one. We went to some like little diner. It was like you and me and maybe like four or five other people. Okay. And the entire table started talking about home buying and real estate. And everyone around the table was like, oh, yeah, I bought my home for such and such. You know, like Every single person, we were just going around and everyone was like, oh, I bought my home for 270000 at a 4.3% interest rate. And, you know, because we're all financial bloggers, so we're all really comfortable sharing that openly. And plus, I mean, the home value, at least, not not your interest rate, but your home values is public information anyway. Right. You can uh, you can always look that up. So that I'm particularly comfortable sharing home value, like purchase price, because that's public record. Yeah. Well, and you're your real person. You know, you can look up J Money and you'll get a whole bunch of rap stars and <laughs> and uh, living the good life, you know. I remember you actually commented at the time. You were like, I love that people are talking to numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's different too. Like, so some people in real life will talk, but then to spread it across the internet and all of our two listeners right now, right? Like that's even <laughs> different, you know, because now it's out there. Um, which I which I love. Obviously, I, I disclose my net worth every single month, and it's like my favorite thing to do. You know, I'm waiting to like win the lottery or or do something that earns millions of dollars. So it's like four hundred thousand, uh, a million and four hundred thousand, like the next month or something. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> but then, like, my wife would probably make me stop doing it, and then it's like weird, and I don't know. But, but that'll be a good problem to have, just like yep. the tax stuff. <laughs> But, you know, I think what well, I like that you disclosure, like actually after I started reading your net worth reports, that was a big part of what inspired me to start tracking my net worth. I started oh. doing that in 2011. Oh, perfect. That is awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and have you noticed like like just knowing generally where your money is that it's like easy, like every month going forward, it's like, like you, you can make decisions easier and you kind of get the overall picture or how does that So I track it twice a year, like once in the summer and once in the once around New Year's and once at the heat of the summer is like the two times that I sit down. And what I do is I actually manually go through every single account. Like, I, you know, I know that you can link your accounts to to Mint or to personal capital or whatever. You know, like I know that you can do that stuff, but almost as a as a meditation or like as a as a practice, I will log into every single account record those numbers, put them on a spreadsheet, and then I go through and I look up the value of every single one of my homes on three different websites, Zillow, Trulia, and HomeSnap. Nice. And I record the estimated value of the home from all three of those sites and then take the average. Okay. Um, That's a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then I go to Kelly Blue Book and I look up the the value of the cars. And so I, I go and it takes me probably about between one to two hours, which is why I only do it twice a year. Yeah, no, but that's good that you're manual. So I do it manual too. I don't use mint or anything because I like to like feel the burn or the rush yeah. if it's going up or down, right? Like, it, yeah. like you feel it more. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. And it gives you that time to like really reflect on every single number. Like that's why I call it a a meditation because it's 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 like a yeah. It, it just gives by slowing it down. It really gives you time to spend. Right. Mentally, with every single account. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, net worth is like it's probably like the one thing that I did that really just changed my whole mindset. Because the nice thing is it covers both areas too, right? Like the bad stuff and the good stuff, the debt, you know, and uh, and the assets. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're like big and like if you have a ton of debt, most people don't want to run their net worth because like the number is obviously negative, right? But the nice thing is like every month, in theory, as long as you're working on it, like the number is getting better. Uh, and, and if you're earning more, if you're like a hardcore hustler like you are, right? Like, and all the money's coming in, like that affects it too. So you can hit the network like in both angles, expenses and income. So, and, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, like stock market goes up and down and crazy, which changes it. But for the most part, you can tell really fast how you're doing, you know, by, by running your net worth that month or the previous three months or whatever. And you can tell if you're slacking or if you're doing good, which I'll yeah. Okay. So, so going back to like, um, the, the real estate stuff. Like for me, so to give my background a little bit, like I bought a house in 2008 at the peak when I should have like $360,000 on a whim, no money down, right? Like I just like went all out there because everyone's buying homes and, you know, I thought I needed to also. So we, we lived in there for a few years. Finally, I got out and, and now it's a, it's a rental property, but only by default. Like I can't like we're underwater, so I can't sell it. And, you know, and I'll actually, I'll have to pay money if I sell it, right? Right, so you're um, so, the accidental landlord. Yeah, okay, so I'm the accidental landlord. So I'm learning by necessity and just because, like, I have to, but but I don't enjoy it whatsoever. But I also don't enjoy home ownership to begin with, you know? And so, like, I would imagine if, like, you were saying, hey, let's look into buying real estate because that's one of the ways to grow your wealth, right? And most millionaires, billionaires, right, real estate is in the top, you know, top three, right? Like, what would be real estate owning businesses or building businesses and then like stock stuff, right? Investing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I choose the investing route since there's no physical thing. I just dump the money in and I don't have to do anything. I'm lazy and it's all passive in theory, right? Mm-hmm. The real estate part, emotionally, mentally and physically, it's really like mind boggling to me. Um, I, I guess let's back up. Like, what do you look for? Like if you were in the new, like you were Paula, you know, 13.0, like you knew everything and you wanted to go out and buy your first, investment property right so like all the newbies out there that have never done it that are interested like what would you tell them you know to look for from from starting out before they get into it and get all crazy and read all the books and all that kind of stuff all right so first of all okay when we talk about real estate we're talking about a a very broad topic that has a lot of there are a lot of different ways to make money in real estate right so you could flip houses you could buy and hold, you know, rental properties. You could invest in tax liens. You could become a wholesaler. There are so many different things that you could do. So the first thing I would say is narrow your focus and just pick one of those strategies. And for me, that was rental properties. Um, so I don't flip houses. I don't invest in tax liens. I don't wholesale. I don't blah, 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 blah. Just because each one of those is a different skill set, right? It would be like, like... Maybe like picking stocks or going to an index fund or buying bonds. Like they're all different kinds, but usually like pick one or something. Yeah, yeah. Or like I guess the other analogy would be um, if you're quote unquote a computer guy, like, mm-hmm. okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're really good at fixing hardware? Does it mean that you are good at designing websites, you know, are, are mm. user interface? Are you like these are, yeah, they're all right. computers, but they're incredibly different skill sets, Okay, um, you know? And you, you specialize in you know? I, Yeah, I, I specialize in rental properties. And, and the reason for that is because my goal is to create passive income. And rental properties are the best at passive income. Flipping, like as an example, if you wanted to flip houses, the advantage to that is that you take the same basic amount of money and you redeploy it again and again and again, right? You put it in a house, you flip that house, then you get that money back, and then you can reinvest that money. Right. So you can keep taking that same starting point of money and and investing it again and again and again. But it's a heck of a lot of work. It's not passive. It's super active. Okay, um, right. And so flipping is a job, uh, whereas rental properties... It's not really a job. Um, in the beginning, it's a lot of work. Setting up those initial conditions takes a lot of upfront work. But then 
you work hard now so that later you can just kick back and reap the benefits throughout the rest of your life. Okay. And so that was what appealed to me. I was like, I'm, I'm willing to hustle like really hard for like a couple of years so that for the rest of my life, I can just kick back and enjoy the proceeds of that. <laughs> Sounds awesome in theory. <laughs> well, you are doing fun. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, so the the first uh, piece of advice that I would give to anyone who says I want to be in real estate is what kind of real estate do you want to be in? And if your answer is rental properties, I can, I can help you there. Okay. So so I'm coming to you, and I say, Paula, I'm Jay Money. I suck at home stuff. I want to learn. I want to buy my first rental property. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I want to buy like a condo or a single family home or, you know, what, what, do I, what do I need to do here in the beginning? All right. So the first thing that you want to do, and, and I'm going to make the assumption that you want to be in residential rental rather yes. than say like offices or warehouses or. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be, that's easier for like a new person to start. Would you say like, where's the yeah. easiest part for, okay. All right. Yeah. It's, that's uh, the easiest, eight, number one, it's the easiest for getting f- funding, especially if you're new and you don't have a track record yet. Okay. And then number two, I just feel like, especially as a, for beginners, it's mentally the easiest to wrap your head around. Let's go with that then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Assuming that you want residential rental, mentally, the thing that I want people to understand, like if you take nothing else away from this this episode, is that you don't buy rental properties for capital appreciation. You buy them for monthly cash flow. And so what I mean by that is that there are two ways that you would make money on uh, a rental property. One is that the value of the property itself goes up. And the other is that you get money in your pocket every month. A lot of people, especially people who are new to real estate, like to focus on the value of those properties going up. That is not where your head should be. That should be icing on the cake. If that happens, it's icing on the cake because historically, Properties tend to rise at the rate of inflation, unless it's 2010 and we're at the bottom of a market. Don't count on getting a whole bunch of appreciation from your properties. Uh, Count on your property keeping pace with inflation and nothing else. So the money is going to come from that monthly cash flow. Okay, so number one, I ask myself, do I want cash flow? Is that important to me? And the answer, of course, is yes. I want money coming in every month. And so great, Paula. I'm sold. Now, now what do we do? <laughs> okay, uh, so the next thing that you'd want to do is start looking at properties, really. Okay. I hear from a lot of readers who are like, well... I live in Washington, D.C., or I live in... Oh, yeah, it's like expensive as balls here, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the D.C. area. You could buy a door for like 100000 here. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear these people. <laughs> um, so if that's your case, then here's what I'd recommend. First of all, I would challenge your... I would challenge that assumption. I would challenge that limiting belief. And just take a moment to ask yourself... Is that really true or am I only looking at the neighborhoods that I myself would personally want to live in? Um, like my what I always tell, tell people is where do every every city, every town, every community has janitors. We have people who work baristas at Starbucks and managers at McDonald's and people who work at TSA at the airport and airport baggage handlers. What are the communities where those people live? You know, what are the communities where... The people who make less than $50,000 a year as their household income, where do they live? Because they're in every community. You know, even even if you live in Aspen, Colorado, there's a service town called Basalt where people live. You know, the people huh. who work in Aspen. Interesting. Because um, Aspen needs yeah. people to take out the trash. Right, 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 right. You know, That's fascinating. Okay. So, Start by asking yourself that question and looking at those communities. Because what I hear from a lot of upper middle class people or middle class people is like, well, you know, anything that's not like a fancy house with a three car garage is a dangerous community. Really? (laughs) Really? You're telling me that like freaking every single person who works as a airport baggage handler lives in the ghetto? Like, I'm I'm sorry. I think I actually almost was a TSA agent for a little bit and I worked at the airline, so that's like talking to me too. Are <laughs> you serious? 
Yeah, I used to work at the airlines. Yeah, making like eight bucks an hour or something. Hell yeah. I had no idea. I, I, I didn't live in the ghettos. No, I, I lived in Manhattan and I had like 10 billion roommates that shared a rent. Um, but but anyways, yeah, no, that's fascinating. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm TSA PreCheck. I'm a low-risk traveler. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, so that's interesting. So yeah, so like I assume if I'm going to go buy a rental property, then everyone's like me and what I find nice or in a good area or whatever, they're going to find, you know, like, so So you're saying like it's not, the house isn't for you. It's, it's purely business, obviously. So you want wherever the best business transactions are, right? Exactly. And, and you're saying like that kind of range, people who make 50000 or less, like that's a good starting point to kind of and and grow and and there's more room for, I guess, like making money, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, rental properties are are roughly classified as they're class A, class B and class C properties. Class A properties are and there's no like textbook definition. You know, it's very subjective. But class A properties are luxury apartments, you know, like the, those places that are new construction and they're nice and they've got stainless steel appliances and they've got granite countertops, Okay. you know, and you tend to get the type of renters who are like, oh, I just graduated from, you know, I'm a, I'm a pharmacist and I make $150,000 a year. I'm not ready to buy yet because I just graduated or because I just moved here or because I... What, for whatever reason, those are class A properties. And typically, you'll make the lowest returns on those properties, but you'll also have the best qualified tenants. Okay, that makes sense. Class C properties, we're going to skip class B for a minute. Okay. Class C properties are like the ghetto. Okay. And then class B is in between. Okay. So it's kind of like ordering a steak. You know, you're like, oh, well done, rare, and then medium is somewhere in between. Okay. And then the way that people talk is like, you know, you can get medium rare or you can get medium well. Same deal. Like you can get class B plus or B minus. Okay. Like, so you'll hear real estate investors talking about that too. And again, there's no objective definition in the same way that there's no way that a steak is objectively medium rare versus rare, you know? Right, right. It's sort of a matter of interpretation. Yeah, no, but that's that's a good way to describe it. And and out of so, how many places, how many pieces of residential real estate do you own? In so your I portfolio? own a total of seven units. Um, seven so, units, okay. Yeah, you measure units by like if you were to own say a, an apartment building that has ten units in it, you would call that ten units, even though it's just one building. Okay, I got it. So how? Okay, so so I guess out of all your so you have seven units, how many? Properties. Is that a good way to say it? Oh, uh, yeah. How many Houses? buildings? How many buildings? Yeah. Um, so that's across five buildings. Okay. So, so in I, this, yeah. I have one, four single family homes and then one triplex. Triplex. Okay. And, and all these are these medium well, medium <laughs> rare. <laughs> like I'm trying to get a good sense of uh, what market you're dabbling in here. <laughs> I'm pretty across the board. So the, the okay. triplex is class A. Uh, class A all the way. Oh wow! It's okay. The the Ballin'. one the one thing about it that is not that it's not new construction. It's actually very old. It was built in 1910. Okay. Um, but it's super luxury. You know, it was like it, it's that like historic nice. Oh yeah, I like that. That's my kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it's super li- hardwood floors, stainless appliances. It rents to like super well qualified people. Okay. Um, yeah, so the tr- the, those three units are Class A, okay. and then I've got two units that are pretty Class C. Okay. Um, you know, they're in Section 8 neighborhoods, so Section okay. 8 housing is uh, government-subsidized housing. Okay. Um, so three units are Class A, two units are Class C, okay. and then the other two are, are Class B. So I'm oh. very spread. I'm very diversified across that range. Okay, and where would you, and where did you start out? Like, like, did you start at Class A or C or B or kind of move around? And then where where is would you recommend a, a a beginner start out if you if you can? So I started with the Class A with the triplex. That was my first one. Okay, and that was only because in terms of getting financing, one of the easiest ways to do it is um, buy a home as a primary resident, buy a multi-unit home as a primary residence, move into one of the units and rent out the other two. Ah, smooth. And so that was what I did. My first home, instead of buying a home for myself as right. my own primary residence, I bought a triplex, moved into a unit with roommates, 
uh, and then rented out the other two. And so the rent from those other two units, plus the rent coming in from the roommates who shared my unit, um, all of that rent combined, not only completely covered all of the costs, but also spit out even additional extra money that I could redeploy into more real estate investing. Right. And was all that by design from, from when, like, you didn't buy the house and later was like, oh, I think I can make money by renting them out. Like, you, you yeah, like, it, strategically went this way. Yeah, it was, it was all by design. I actually wasn't even planning on, on buying a house at all. And I was renting in a triplex that was across the street from the one that I ended up buying. And I noticed the for sale sign in the yard. And so uh, on a whim, I just kind of like went over and looked at it and ran the numbers and was like, hey, why not? You know, I, I already know that I like this neighborhood. I want to live here. Why not just buy that house and move into one of the unit? And I actually moved all of my roommates over with me. That's awesome. Our entire unit just moved across the street. So you started out comfortable in the area, comfortable with the roommates, um, got a good deal, but you're also paying attention and, and obviously saw it as an opportunity and then you jumped on it. Because I'd imagine like triplexes are a lot more, at least somewhat more expensive than just like an, a normal house normal people would start with. Uh, so it was 225000 Wow, that's it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I hate you. <laughs> oh my Lord. Oh, and so that was, that actually reminds me, the, the next thing that I would say is for people who live in expensive areas, specifically the northeastern section of the U.S. and Southern California, or maybe California in general, or the West Coast, if it's people who live on the coasts, if you do live in an expensive area, step one is check your assumptions. But step two is if you check your assumptions and you find that, like, no, everything here is legitimately expensive, invest somewhere else. The entire Midwest and the entire Southeast, for example, like basically every uh, the interior of the country, you've got some really freaking good deals. Right, right. Well, I, I mean, yeah. And I imagine, though, like, like a that's like scarier and and it's more like work it seems like like i'm just playing like like this is how i feel right i'm like no way in hell i'd ever do that because i don't want to go travel there and then manage it and maybe i'll get a property manager what if something break like there's all these like crazy scary things that come up mm -hmm. right which i guess goes down to like how bad do you actually like want to do this and learn yeah. so so that of course plays in so let's say then i want like a medium stake i just want the like the middle somewhere because i'm i'm not risky enough for the lower part but i'm also like don't think i can play ball with a, in a, in a typical one um so i want let's say i have like two hundred thousand that i want for like a medium home you know or a single family home or something and i start looking then what am i looking for like 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 i always feel like all these weird like ratios and it should rent you know for this percent if you is good or this percent is bad and what the average expenses are like oh and i know it like varies but like yeah. generally speaking like what what am i getting myself into yeah my minimum criteria, um, and, and I use this just to eliminate properties right off the bat. Okay. At the very least, the gross monthly rent must be at least 1% of your total acquisition price. So for every $100,000 worth of home, it's got to rent for at least 1000 Interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm like taking notes. <laughs> this is like our podcast. Like, I'm sure we got to type this up somewhere because this is the stuff I need to know or anyone needs to know. <laughs> it's it's all at affordanything.com. Yeah. Oh, it's at hard and hustle dot whatever we get. <laughs> You're diverting all the readers. Just listeners. No readers, listeners. Okay. So 1%. So, okay. So if I have $200,000, I want to spend you know, mm -hmm. which is probably more than you might want to. Let, let's actually just say I have 100000 just so, so it's easy. Okay, you've got $100,000, and we're just for the sake of simplicity, we're going to assume that purchase plus the any initial upfront repairs needed to make it habitable. Okay. You know, plus like a little bit for closing costs. Okay. We'll say that comes to $100,000. Okay. The place has got to rent for at least 1000 a month. At least 1000 And if it was 2000 yeah. then 2000 So, So like going back to like my townhouse that I bought for 360000 It's got to rent for at least 3600 a month. Yeah. You know how much it rents for? <laughs> <laughs> Not even 1700 So like I'm off by like 2000 to give you an idea, right? <laughs> But, wow. but obviously, it wasn't like a, a planned strategy and all that kind of stuff. But but this is good because this tells me like a like no rental no investor is going to have interest in my house because mm -hmm. they're like they're never going to get the rent out of it, right? right? Which is good to know if I I'm thinking of selling or I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. But anyways, that's that's good to know. All right, 
So 1%. All right. So far, so good. What, what other um, simple tips here you got? <laughs> so, um, so that's my minimum starting. Oh, and I want to explain why that is a rule. Okay. There's a very broad rule of thumb called the 50% rule, which states that roughly half of your rent is going to get gobbled up by like operating overhead, like your taxes, insurance, property management, repairs, maintenance, blah, blah, blah. And it won't necessarily be be 50% every single month, you know, like there might be some months because that's the nature of repairs and maintenance, right? Like over a, a 10 year span, which is 120 months, 119 of those months, you don't have to pay a dime for the roof. And then one of those months, you pay $20,000 to put right. on your roof on, oh, barf, yes. you know, so like, it may not shake out that way every single month. But over the long term, that this rule of thumb states that about half of your rent is going to get gobbled up by operating overhead. And of course, like, you know, you can poke some holes into that theory because obviously, like, rent and operating costs are independent variables. You know, if you're in like a landlord's market and rents shoot up, that doesn't necessarily mean that your operating overhead is going to shoot up as well. So, I mean, it's which is why it shouldn't be taken as like mathematical fact, but just for like back of the envelope planning purposes, that's a easy rule of thumb. Yeah. And I would imagine like your triplex, right, only has one roof, not three. So your exactly. ratio is pretty damn good there, I would imagine. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's sort of, it, it varies. Like on one hand, yeah, the triplex has one roof instead of three and, you know, one set of gutters instead of three. So I can consolidate some of that overhead. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, for my single family homes, I don't pay the water bill. The tenants do. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And like for the single family homes, I don't mow the lawn. I, I make the tenants do that. Whereas for the triplex, I have to take, I pay the water bill. I uh, take care of the lawn. I, you know. Okay. So it, it kind of balances out. Okay. Yeah. At least in the city of Atlanta where water is really expensive. Okay. Um, so 100,000, 1,000, 1%. So now you're looking for rents, rentals that you can get 1,000 or more. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, real quick. Um, so the reason for that 1% rule. Okay, so if you're making 1% a month, then you're making 12% a year, right? Okay. You follow me so far? Yeah. And if half of that gets gobbled up by operating overhead, you're left with 6% a year. Huh. That's like a good average in like the stock market. <laughs> what is it, 7 or whatever? So basically you are, at with that kind of a property, you are getting... You're functionally buying a stock that has a 6% dividend payout. Huh. And then if the value of that stock, say, keeps pace with inflation, so it rises by another 3% a year, then your total payout is 9% per year. That, that's, that's the rate at which that's growing. Wow. So, functionally, it's like you have a stock that's, that's growing at 9% a year, 6% of which is a dividend, and 3% of which is capital appreciation. Well, and um, the the house, you're not paying more for the house as the years go by, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like fixed mortgage probably. So whereas like if the stock goes up in five years, you're paying more to get that dividend. You're paying the same and then less over time for a higher dividend. Sort of. Do I have that um, right or no? Kind of. The, the principal and the interest, if you have a fixed rate mortgage, then the principal and the interest on the house stay the same. Yeah. But property taxes, insurance, repairs, maintenance, management... Uh, any landlord covered utilities, all of that's going to go up. Okay. So that being said, you you adjust the rents at the rate of inflation to, to kind of offset some of that. So you kind of end up breaking even there. Okay, fair enough. Uh, all right, so 100,000, 1% is 1,000. And then my next question was going to be, what is like average expenses? But 50%, so you, so you would say on average is like $500 expense a month um, on this in this example that we're using? Yeah, so the that's operating overhead, and that does not include debt servicing. So that's another thing that you would also have to pay for. And the reason for that, and I, this confuses a lot of beginners, so I, I just want to be yeah, clear. I'm already confused, and I own oh no. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're evaluating a property, initially evaluate it as though you're paying cash for it, in order to, to determine whether or not it's a good rental, and then. Once you've evaluated it on those terms, then you add in any kind of debt servicing. So then you add in the terms of the mortgage. And the reason uh, for that okay. is because you, 
you want to first ask yourself, is this property a good investment? And you don't want to conflate that with how good are the terms of this loan? Um, and the, the way that I kind of explain this to people, like, let's let's take this. Whoops. Let's take this to some logical extremes here. I don't know if you could hear that. My cell phone just went off. Yeah. Um, so probably a tenant saying you need to do something. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm finding all the horrible things. So I don't have makes me not want to get one. <laughs> Most of my tenants don't have my phone number. <laughs> Smart. Okay. And we'll get to that in a minute. Property management all the way. Uh, what was I saying? Uh, the, uh, oh, the more you're going to give us an example. Okay, so the reason for that. So let's just take this to some uh, absurd extremes in order to illustrate why. Like, if you had a a mortgage with a zero percent interest rate, it's going to make a lot of houses look good. And if you had a mortgage at a ninety nine percent interest rate, it's going to make everything look bad. Right. But that doesn't mean that the property itself is a good or a bad deal. It means that your 99% mortgage is a bad deal and you need a different more lender. Yeah, well, and same with buying a car or buying anything, right? Like you get financing, all of a sudden you're mentally all, you know, like, oh, wow, I can afford this. I got 0%. I can buy all these rings and this bling and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's, that makes total sense. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. That's a perfect analogy. Like when you're buying a car, first you decide what car you want. And then you look at the financing, right? So same thing for a house. And the dealers always want to talk about financing and, oh, what, what kind of monthly payment do you want, right? And then they go and make it all sexy, even though it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're only paying $50 a month for this Corvette. Awesome. Yeah, but you're paying like 150 years. Right. <laughs> so it's not awesome. So so, so this 1000 is already, from just operating expenses, is down to 500 cash flow, right? And then you also have to pay for the financing unless you really did. If you didn't mm-hmm. straight up, then you pocket $500 a month in theory, right? Yeah, exactly. And then the financing. So a mortgage is, there are four elements to a mortgage, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, P-I-T-I. What a pity. Within that operating overhead, within that $500, we include taxes and insurance because those are eternal and they stay with you forever. So they're part of your operating overhead. Okay, well, that's good so far. But we don't include principal and, and interest because that's part of the debt servicing. Okay, so out of that $100,000 mortgage you just took, now let's say like, what for, for this kind of property, mm-hmm. is it still like, you know, 20% down and you finance 80 or is it different because it's a rental and not like a home that you're living in? Well, so um, so what's like an average? If you're getting traditional bank financing, then, uh, and you're buying it as an investment property, then typically a bank is going to want 30% down and they'll charge you one additional percent for uh, in in interest rate. Good night. All right. So you need third. So if I want a hundred thousand dollar house, mm-hmm. I need to have thirty thousand in cash, no matter what. Yeah. The other option, though, especially if you're a beginner, there are a couple of things you could do. Number one, you could buy a multi-unit, like like what I did when I started. I bought a multi-unit property, moved into one of the units, and then rented out the others. And that way, it still qualifies as a primary residence. And you can buy it as a primary residence and and it's it's totally legit. Like banks as long as the the building is four units or fewer, okay. then it qualifies as residential rather than commercial. So you can buy it as your own primary residence, get the better financing, get a better chance of approval, need less money down, blah, 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 blah. The other thing that you could do, particularly if you're a beginner, is um uh buy that single family home move into it for a year, like one to two years, and then move out and move into a different home. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And turn that into a rental. Actually, I actually know a couple that made a shitload of money doing this. They Every like couple of years, they would just move house to house to house. Yeah. And they had this string of primary residences that they turned into rental properties behind wow. them. Wow. And once it's financed, and even if it changes later to rental after a certain amount of years, at least you don't want to worry about it as much because you've already got it all financed. Yeah. I mean, look at your house, j yeah. yeah, I did that. By yeah. <laughs> I left, I, I, pay, I pay to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you bought it as a primary residence. You got the financing and the down payment as though it was a primary residence. And then you left and you turned it into a rental property. What a great deal. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, there's so many like variables. I'm wrapping my head around. Like, is it not like I say just as easy 
But is it in the, if you're smart enough to have extra money and smart enough to go into rental property owning and do all this stuff, could you like, like getting a duplex or a triplex versus a single family home or condo, is it roughly the same in easiness, I guess, is a question. Is there any major problems with doing that like as a beginner? I mean, you obviously did, but, but you're, I, I, I put you in like this super smart level with this stuff. So like, <laughs> like go down to like an average person. Oh, uh, you flatter me, Jamie. You you give me way too much credit. <laughs> uh, well, either way, either that you're a good actress. I don't know, but I'm going to skip the first one. <laughs> I mean, I've, let's see. So in terms of easiness, there are a couple of variables at play. Number one, what type of neighborhood would those properties be in? Like, are we talking class A, class B, class C? Because class A is going to be the easiest. You're going to get the lowest returns, but it's going to be the easiest. And oh, and by the way, if you're going into class C, I would demand at least 1.5%, if not 2%. Okay, good to know, because it's riskier. Yeah, because it's riskier. So if you're going to go into a riskier investment, you, you've got to demand a risk premium. You've got to demand a higher reward. Okay. So let's stick with the medium, the medium one, uh, B, class B. So let's assume that you can get a class B property that is either a multi-unit or a single family and you're trying to decide which of those two you want, that is a eternal source of debate in the real estate community. It's very common to hear people say, oh, multi-units are better because that way, if you have a vacancy in one of the units, you still have income coming in from the other units. So your income is more diversified, right? If you have a single family home and that home is vacant and that's your only rental property, then your vacancy is 100% of your portfolio. Whereas if you have a, a triplex and one of the units is vacant, then that unit is only 33% of your portfolio. So that's the argument that you'll typically hear in favor of multi-unit properties. I kind of disagree with that argument because, you know, you can get four single family homes and, you know, it's it's... Mm. What is the difference between having four single-family homes versus a quadruplex? Now, I mean, I'm being facetious when I ask yeah, that because right. obviously there's a difference in terms of uh, now I have four roofs and I have four lawns and I have four sets of gutters and I have four things of window, banks of windows, you know. Right. So, yeah, obviously there are those differences. But again, like I said, I also don't pay the water bill and I don't take care of the lawn, ma the lawn maintenance and I – don't do this and I don't do that and blah, 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 blah. And I, permitting from the city is easier on my single family homes than it is on my triplex. Mm. I personally don't believe that there's a clear winner between those two. And that's a controversial statement because you'll hear a lot of real estate investors who are gung-ho about multi-units. If everything else was equal, mm -hmm. I personally would go for a multi-unit. But the reason that I started with a multi and then went into single family homes is because I was searching and searching and searching and searching for great deals on multi-units, and I couldn't find them, but I kept finding these single-family homes that were just ah, okay. awesome deals. Right. You know, And part of that might just be volume. There are more single-family homes than there are multi-units. So you know, statistically speaking, within that mix, you're going to have more of those good deals somewhere in, buried somewhere in there. So, um, hmm. so that was what I did. Like every time I've bought a house... I've done it by looking for a multi, not finding the numbers I want, and then finding a single family home that just blew me out of the water with how good of a deal it was. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's interesting that you don't see it as a clear winner when that's what you always shoot for yourself. But I like it, you know, and you, and you, right, like with real estate, just with like stocks or with, you know, let's say even jobs you take, right? When opportunities arise, sometimes you switch your plan and you go for it if it's going to get you to the end goal faster. Right? Exactly. So, so you, you, you don't really care what kind of properties you own as long as they're all like paying and you're, you're making a good income and you're building your, your portfolio over time. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And just to throw in one more thing, if, and I, I recommend if you're going to be a real you know, rental property investor that your strategy is buy and hold, you know, and so you hold on to it for a long time. But if you do want to sell the property, single family homes are easier to sell. Okay. Um, you can sell those to owner occupants. You can, you know, you can sell those to either investors or owner occupants. So your pool of potential buyers is a lot bigger. Yes. Whereas multifamilies, you're only going to sell those to investors who are looking for good deals. Yeah, and so investors are going to evaluate the property based on math rather than on emotion. Yeah. Whereas... <laughs> the heart versus the hustle. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas, like. 
you know, a, a, a primary owner-occupant is going to use emotion in making that buying decision. And so you can you can play that to your advantage. You can make the home, you can stage it and put like fresh-baked cookies and folded towels in the bathroom and scented candles and make it really nice and, and drive up the value of it just by doing that. You could never do that if you're catering to investors. Right, yeah. They're, they're, they know what's going on. They know the deal. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes sense. So depending on opportunity, depending on what you're comfortable with, you know, and also obviously depending on where you want to live. So if you do go the, the smooth strategic route of living in it first and then renting it out, you're obviously going to have to be okay living in a triplex or a single family condo or house, depending on just what you you want to live in, right? Yeah. Unless unless you're strictly like a math person and none of the rest matters, which there are a lot of people like that, you know, more power to you, you're probably going to make more money that way. So, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, and I do hear from some readers who are like, well, I, I can't live in a duplex. I have kids. And I'm like... Why? Like wait till, wait till the kids come. But yes, <laughs> I, uh, I I mean, when I was a kid, like we lived in an apartment for a while. Like, what is wrong with being a kid living in not a single family home? Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think it's a matter of the kids. I think it's a matter of the parents what they're comfortable with. Like for me, I would live in a condo. I would live at my parents' house if I could, with me, and my two kid, two boys, and my wife. Mm-hmm. But my wife would never do it. Like she wants space, and I don't need space. Mm. So a lot of this is still a personal preference, at least if you're going, the uh, you're going to live in it first thing. You know, look at New York City. That's like yeah, hell yeah, a city of eight million where m- the vast majority of children do not live in big single family homes with like yeah, and they all turn out okay. They do. Are correct. At, you know, look at San Francisco or or Rio de Janeiro or like any major city. Right. As a kid who like grew up without a lot of money and like lived in an apartment for a while, I, I just I don't I don't really get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, one one podcast we'll talk about kids and money, and then we can go into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so back to this original example: a hundred thousand dollars. I need one percent, so it's gonna it needs to rent at least for a thousand or more. Half of that's gone out the window from just stupid, you know, stuff breaking and taxes and all this kind of stuff. And then I also have, if I'm putting, let's say, thirty thousand down because I'm not going to live in it, um, I need to finance seventy thousand. I don't know what kind of average finance. I mean, how much? Like, is that like two hundred dollars a month, three hundred dollars a month? Like, what can we use in this example here to just whittle this down a little bit more to get a better understanding? I'm going to jump on the internet right now and run this through a mortgage calculator. Let's say mortgage amount is 100000 Well, No, 70000 70000 in your mortgage amount. Yeah. At, let's say, a 4% interest rate. Sure. Over a 30-year term, that is $334 in monthly payments. Let's say $300. Yeah. So now, so now your thousand rent. That, like, someone give you a check for a thousand. You get two hundred of it. You get two hundred of it. That's pretty good, actually. Oh that's yeah, a, actually. yeah, that's a pretty good return. Because remember that mortgage that you're paying, that three hundred dollars. Yeah. A portion of that is also going towards building your equity, building your principal. Right. So let's say, like, just to make it easy, which isn't the case in the beginning, but let's say a hundred dollars of that is is your principal. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you're making $300 a month, 200 cash and 100 towards principal payoff. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know why I guess in my head, I was just assuming like I'd have a mortgage of $700. So I'm already negative. But you're right, the mortgage is only 300. So so I guess the question becomes, do, am I willing to give up $100,000 either in cash um, actually, that would be better because then it'd be a five hundred dollars. But well, let's say, like, am I giving up a hundred thousand dollars of potential money mm-hmm. to make two hundred dollars a month or three hundred dollars a month and more over time? Mm-hmm. Is that worth it? Or so the way I look at it is like, oh, I don't want to go through all that hassle. I'm going to invest this hundred thousand into like the stock market, right? Into 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 an index total Vanguard fund. Mm. And then, you know, where, what am I comfortable with? What does that look like? That, those are obviously like a whole other set of variables. Yeah. So backing up a minute, if you invested in an index fund, you could only invest cash. I mean, I'm assuming you're not buying on margin. Yeah, that's true. So, so I only have 30000 So yeah, in, in that comparison, yeah, it's, it's would I invest that 30000 in an index fund or would I invest that 30000 
towards the down payment on a house. Yeah, I think the house is looking a little better. (laughs) (laughs) Damn you, Paula. I'm trying to convince myself not to want to go down this route, but mathematically it makes sense. And then again, it's a course, like where does that fit in with your lifestyle personality, right? The heart and the hustle. Man, this thing keeps coming up. (laughs) It's true. Like I like, well, well, and that brings us, I know we're, we're kind of going long time here on the call but this is i mean i'm I'm literally learning like 50 percent of everything from you right now like i no one's ever told me any of this stuff right and i'm in blogging and i you know i've had people guest post about this stuff on my site uh so i like this personally hopefully other people are are getting um are liking it too but the other two main questions i have for you for me which is which is something for me so like i'm becoming like minimalist over time Mm -hmm. and i like simple and i like not thinking and worrying yeah. Um, and obviously, anytime you invest, you're going to have to deal with being comfortable with risk, right? And it's not going to be as simple because you're adding a big, crazy thing into the mix. But, you know, my, my two pain points emotionally are, A, like, I don't want to think about and worry about all these properties scattered around the city. They can burn up any day. Like, all this crazy stuff can happen, mm-hmm. right? I ain't it like, ah, like, who knows, right? Like, people die in them all the time. That freaks me out, you know? Yeah. And then two... Like, how am I physically managing logistically all the properties, all the property manager stuff, all the money coming in? Like, and I know these are two big questions, but you, um, people have obviously figured out a way to mm-hmm. do this to make it streamlined. So it's yeah. just a matter of figuring out the plan first and, you know, the emotional stuff you just have to get used to, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, uh, let me frame it this way. So I'm netting. I mean, roughly about $60,000 a year okay. after expenses. If you want to be conservative, let's say, let's call it fifty. Okay. How much time and hassle would it take me to make $50,000 a year? Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> way better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if I, all right, that's a great question. What would I have to do to make 50 grand? Right. And is that less annoying or more annoying than buying a couple properties and then letting it hum in the background? Exactly. And, and again, yours, I guess the, the nice thing is if I make 50 grand by washing cars or consulting or whatever, mm-hmm. I have to do 50 grand every single year to keep it up for the rest of my life versus you get it somewhat passively for the rest of your life. So that's a big trade off too. You only have to hustle once for the rest of your life versus every year, unless you're doing stock stuff again. But yeah, um, huh? I like that. That's a good way to put it. Have I convinced you, Jay Money? <laughs> Are you going to be... Re- yeah, a little bit. Well, and one last thing while we're on this topic, like, and we can talk about this in other shows, but but the property managers up. So, like, I have a property manager that puts in the uh-huh. whole more. It's like 150 a month. But, like, to me, like, they deal with all the problems. Anytime there is, unless it's really major, they call me, which, like, you never get a good call from, like, a property manager. <laughs> yeah, they're never calling to say happy birthday. Yeah, exactly. So that's a way to ease, like, the somewhat painful parts if you're willing to lose a little cash. So in your example of making 200 a month, yeah. if you had a property manager that charged, let's say, 100 a month. Oh, no, no, that includes the property manager. Oh, that does. Damn, that's yeah. even better. Okay. So the, the thing is, and uh, that I'm glad you brought this point up. Always, always, always run the numbers as though you're paying a property manager. Okay. Even if you plan on managing it yourself, because you want to be able to, okay, so separate investor you from worker you, right? Like this is this is an, a classic mistake that new people make is people are like, well, if I just do all of the work myself, then my expenses are zero, Right. And that's not the case. Like if I do the work myself, then management is zero and repairs will cost only the amount of materials and zero for the labor. That's just not true. Run the numbers as though you're outsourcing every single component of it. And if you have the time and the interest and the or if you need the money or whatever, like if for whatever reason you choose to do the work yourself, that's fine. You can pay worker you for that active income. But huh. keep investor you and worker you separate so that that way worker you can quit at any time and then investor you can replace worker you with somebody else and the numbers stay the same. Fascinating. I like that a lot. That's a great, great point. Man, the all you have all these crazy nuggets in your brain. <laughs> 
You know, like it's really amazing. Like in like 45 minutes or whatever, like this is the stuff that I think people need to know before they just jump in because like everyone on TV is like, oh, I'm investing in all these million dollar properties and making a ton of money, right? <laughs> but it does, it's all math. You're right. It's all about math. It's crazy. So like if people want to learn more about this, mm-hmm. see, they can go to affordanything.com, which is your blog. And a lot of your posts are about entrepreneurship and real estate. And, you know, you do like you know, renting out rooms, exi- you know, experiments with, you know, Airbnb, and you're always into like real estate stuff, right? Yeah, um, don't, yeah. don't come to budgetsarsexy.com unless <laughs> you want like someone that hates it, um, which is fair. You know, there are people that don't like it. And then, you know, like I just know biggerpockets.com because it's like, you know, we are friends with Josh who runs it and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he, it's, and they're all talking about all kinds of crazy properties. Is that, would you say that's a good place for someone new to, to go to, to listen it's- or... Yeah, I, I love Bigger Pockets. It's a little overwhelming because for a few reasons. Number one, it, it's all kinds of investors with all kinds of risk profiles and all kinds of strategies and niches. Okay. So you'll find people. So the real estate investing crowd is a little. You you find some weirdos in there. Okay. Because okay, because the thing is, real estate is one of the few areas in which the average person has access to very high leverage. And so as a result, you get these like people who are really into leveraging. I walked into this one like real estate networking group. There's this networking group that I would go to. And this guy comes in and he's like, oh, you know, I just bought my first two rental properties and I only put $600 down. Wow. This other guy was like, why'd you put that much? (laughs) (laughs) And by leverage for normal people, that means debt. Like this guy could have a million dollars of debt. But he only yeah. technically paid six hundred dollars out of pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's the one I like. I like bigger pockets. I'm very good friends with Josh and Brandon, the guys who run it. But um, the one kind of caution that I would give people is: be careful who your mentors are. Be careful who you listen to. There are many opinions and many strategies and many risk profiles within the world of real estate investing. What I do is very specific residential rental properties in a style that is very cautious about debt and leverage and mortgages. I I don't, you know, I do take on mortgages, but I'm not like, wee, let's mortgage to the hilt, no money down, woo! You know, like, I, I'm not like, excited about it you know okay so you so you have a balance between leverage and cash flow and everything like you're not gonna like you'd rather have like your situation now versus double but you have like two million dollars in, in debt like right. that's too leveraged i could easily be mu- much more leveraged than i am yeah easily easily i i know that i qualify i know that i could do it but there's a reason i two of two out of my five uh, buildings i bought in cash and i didn't have to do that I could have leveraged into those, but I I chose not to. And that's a, a very controversial decision because there are a lot of investors who would say, you're crazy for paying cash for a house. Why would you tie up your cash like that? Right. You could easily chop up that money and spread it across 10 houses. Right. And so that's why I say, be careful who your mentors are. What I do is is one very specific strategy and one very specific kind of risk style. Well, that's the one that I'm going to trust so far. <laughs> and where, like, so where can, an, so Bigger Pockets is one place, your site, is there a site or blog that you think people, it will be a good place for people to start at, like if they want to learn more? If you're interested in flipping houses, there's an excellent blog called 123flip.com, written by a friend of mine named Jay Scott. He's very good at what he does, but he's flipping specific, but I would I would definitely recommend that for anybody who wants to go down that path. Okay. Uh, rental properties. I Yeah, I guess my site and bigger pockets would be the two. Okay. So quick plug here. Sometime in the year 2016, knock on wood, I will be coming out with some kind of a real estate course. I don't know exactly when, but if you go to Afford Anything, and if you look on some of my real estate-specific posts, there's a, a separate email list where you can sign up for if you want to know more information about that. That's awesome. And that's just going to be my brain dump of like everything that I know about specifically residential rental properties in the United States. Okay, I like it. Well, if you ever want to um, partner up on an investment property, I'll just give you some money, and then you can do all the work. <laughs> 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 That's how I like to do it. 
Oh man, this is good, Paula. Thank you for being, you're like our first guest, even though like- uh, <laughs> I know, right? It was like an interview. <laughs> yeah, this is good because I'm good at certain things, but some things I just admire people that can go these routes because I just, it's not in me. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's important to like ask these questions and kind of explore what, how you want to build your wealth and what, you know, what you like or don't like, right? There's a million ways if you don't like real estate, there's a million other ways you can invest money and become millionaires, right? right. Uh, and be happy for the rest of your life. Like there's plenty of other ways, but this one is one of the most popular ones in the entire world, you know? So I'm glad that we went in there a little bit. <laughs> All right, Paula. Well, I think that's enough. That was a lot, a lot of talk on real estate. We'll put stuff in the show notes that go over like a lot of your, because you drop like nine or 10 tips here. But, you know, obviously you can reach out to Paul anytime on their site or email, right? Or we'll cover something on the podcast. But, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Cool. We'll see you back soon. See ya. We'd like to thank our sponsors. Nobody. We don't have any sponsors, but we would like to thank you for listening. Because if you weren't, we'd just be talking to ourselves and that would be weird. If you liked us, please do the following three things. Number one, subscribe to this show on iTunes. Number two, download as many episodes as you'd like. And number three, leave us an iTunes review. If you'd like to know more about us, check out themoneyshow.co. That's themoneyshow.co.